Psalm 74. O oh God, why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? Remember the nation you purchased long ago, the people of your inheritance, whom you redeemed, Mount Zion, where you dwelt. Turn your steps towards these everlasting ruins, all this destruction the enemy has brought on the sanctuary. Your foes roared in the place where you met with us. They set up the standards as signs. They behaved like men wielding axes to cut through the thicket of trees. They smashed all the carved paneling with their axes and hatches. They burned your sanctuary to the ground. They defiled the dwelling place of your name. They said in their hearts, we will crush them completely. They burned every place where God was worshipped in the land. We are given no signs from God. No prophets are left. And none of us knows how long this will be. How long will the enemy mock you, God? Will the foe revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the folds of your garment and destroy them. But God is my king from long ago. He brings salvation on the earth. It was you who split the sea, split open the sea by your power. You broke the heads of the monster in the waters. It was you who crushed the heads of the Leviathan and gave it to the, as food to the creatures of the desert. It was you who opened up the springs and streams. You dried up every floating rivers. The day is yours and yours also the night. You established the sun and the moon. It was you who set all the boundaries of the earth. You made summer and winter. Remember how the enemy has mocked you, Lord. How foolish people have reviled your name. Do not hand over the life of your dove to the beasts. Do not forget the lives of your afflicted people forever. Have regard for your covenant because haunts of violence fill the dark places of the land. Do not let the oppressed retreat in disgrace. May the poor and needy praise your name. Rise up, O God, and defend your cause. Remember how fools, how fools mock you all day long. Do not ignore the glamour of your advertise, the uproar of your enemies which rise continually. Edward, thank you for reading. Let's pray together. As the psalmist said, we, Lord, are the sheep of your pasture, the, the people you purchased, you, rede you redeemed. We are the place you dwell by your spirit. Lord reminded us. And so please, as we sung, would you Revive, restore, renew us. Please now, through your word, teach us, encourage us. Not least teach us to pray. For we ask in your name. Amen. There are many things in our world, and I guess that for a number of us, many things in our own lives that at times make us want to cry, Why, Lord? As the psalmist does in our psalm struck me this week, actually, that I'm a bit too quick to bat that question away with a why not? The world's a fallen place, bad things happen, 
and I'm a bit prone to tell myself, why not, rather than why. But three times in the psalm, the psalmist asks, why? He doesn't simply look around at the suffering in our world, a broken world, and shrug and say, why not? He looks up and remembers God, what God is like, who God is, and he says, why, Lord? How long, Lord? How long are you going to let things go on like this? How long before you take your hands out of your pockets and do something? I wonder if you ever asked that question. How long before this depression lifts? How long must I live with this chronic pain? Will my marriage ever be better? How long must I struggle with infertility or singleness? Will the war in Ukraine ever end? Will it ever be the home that it was? This book of Psalms, which we're looking at this term, is, is given to us to teach us how to speak to God, how to pray. And about a third of the Psalms, actually, are Psalms of Lament. Teach us, they encourage us to bring our pain, our suffering, our questions to God, to ask why, how long. And this psalm we're looking at this morning is one of those psalms of lament. In particular, it's reflecting on lamenting the terrible events of 587, 586 BC when Babylonian armies besieged and then destroyed. Jerusalem, raising it to the ground and the temple, God's house was reduced to rubble. Now it's quite clear those events were terrible, awful. But I guess if we're honest, there are many other terrible events in history which resonate much more with us, that feel much closer to home. We might approach this psalm and think, well, no doubt there are things it, it, it can teach us, but why would I ever want to sing this psalm? Last week we were looking at Psalm 51, and that, that's a psalm, I guess a song we know we, we need to sing. We need to learn to sing better. But why would we ever want to sing this psalm? We might say. Bits of it resonate, we might like the odd verse but perhaps it feels a lot less relevant. But God has given us this psalm, as all the psalms, not just to sort of use if we want to. We, we, we can use it if we feel the need. He's given us this psalm that we should use it, should sing it. He wants us to learn to sing this. You see, the psalms are given not only so that we can express what's on our hearts. The Psalms are given to us to shape what is on our hearts. And this is a Psalm we need to learn to sing. So let's look at it. Three sections, three headings are going to be these. Grieve with me, believe with me, and pray with me. There are sort of three sections. So first, verses so 1 to 11, the psalmist says, grieve with me. 
weeks to understand what he was grieving about. And then I want us to think how we might grieve with him. These words might have something to say to us. Clear in the passage what he is grieving about. Not simply, actually, what the Babylonians had done. Actually, in the first place, he's grieving about what God has done. Look at the beginning. Verse 1. O God, why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? As he knew in his head, God surely can't have rejected us forever, but that is how it felt. He knew perhaps that divine anger had been deserved. But still, he says, is it to be forever? When will it end? We're your sheep, he says. You're meant to be our shepherd. Yet it seems as though you've just abandoned us to wolves. That can't be right. We're your people, he says, verse 2. Remember the nation you purchased long ago, the people of your inheritance, whom you redeemed. You bought us. We're yours. We're your inheritance. We are the people you chose to be your very own, your prized possession. Are you now just giving us up? Zion was to be your dwelling place, he says. No doubt they grieved how their homes, their family homes, had been destroyed. But especially what he grieves is that God's house, the place that, as it were, signified that God dwelt in their midst, God's house had been flattened. Someone says, is that okay? Are you no longer with us, your people? Have you abandoned us forever? We're your sheep. We're your people. That was your home. Look at us. Look at the temple now, he says. Verse 3, turn your steps towards these everlasting ruins. All this destruction the enemy has brought on the sanctuary. Seems the ruins have been there for many years at this time. But the psalmist remembers what happened as if it were yesterday. He says, verse 4, your foes roared in the place where you met with us. They set up their standards as signs. A place that once had been filled with the singing of psalms, of prayers, where they'd heard the scriptures read and taught. In that place, your foes roared like wild beasts, like a bunch of drunken vandals on a rampage. Over the page, verse 5, it says, They behaved like men wielding axes to cut through a thicket of trees. They smashed all the carved paneling with their axes and hatchets. They burned your sanctuary to the ground. They defiled the dwelling place of your name. And what had God's response been? Well, verse 9, we're given no signs from God. No prophets 
are left. God had, it seems, said nothing. He'd done nothing. Verse 11, why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the folds of your garment and destroy them. I guess we can understand the grief of the psalmist. I guess the question I want to ask is, why should it be our grief? Why should we sing this? Do we still need this psalm in our Bibles? Well, we don't have a physical temple anymore. We, wonderfully, as Vaughan reminded us, are the temple of the living God in which he dwells now forever by his spirit. We, God's church, are God's temple, founded on Christ, the cornerstone. So why need we sing this, grieve the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem all those years ago? Why should we sing this? Well, look at us. If we don't grieve the state of God's people in our world today, Actually, I want to suggest we haven't really understood all that we are meant to be as church, as God's people. We are to be God's holy people, saints, with a temple of the Holy Spirit. Yet every week we seem to read of scandals in the church, abuse, sin, worldliness, that our own hearts sin and worldliness admire us. We're meant to be the family of God, united in love for one another in Christ. And yet too often, we're just like most other families, actually dysfunctional, divided, resentments, grievances, bitternesses, grudges. We're meant to be the bride of Christ, one day we know we will be beautiful, glorious, without spot or blemish on that last day. But to see the church as she is now is like seeing a bride the day before her wedding, sitting on a park bench, tatty clothes, drunk, maybe a syringe on the floor by her feet, flirting. That passes by the churches now. We are so, so far from what we should be. Gospels tell us Jesus wept over Jerusalem, grieved at how God's people at his time were. And as Jesus looks at his bride now, well, wonderfully and amazingly, we know he looks on us with love. He, he delights in us, strangely. But surely, too, as he looks at us, there is much that grieves him, too. And as we sing in the King's Choir, as we've called this series, he calls us to sing this psalm with him. So you might think of the church in the West and think how our secular society has roared like those Babylonians, done their best to tear down every vestige of Christianity in our culture, set up their banners, their idols. 
you might think of the mess that is the Church of England at the moment. Faithlessly, flirting with the world. So many Church of England churches up and down this country, anything goes, anything can be celebrated. So many churches, God's word is silenced. That should grieve us when we think of what the church should be. When we look at the wider world, a number of our overseas partners, as you'll know, we can't say the country they work in. So often we can't even say their, their surnames for their protection. They've gone where they've gone to share the most wonderful message in the world, to share the love of God for this world, this broken world. They've gone to be a blessing to the people there. And yet many of them fear that if the authorities knew what they were doing, their visas would be taken away, they'd be kicked out. The churches they are serving, so often weak and struggling, Somalia, as we've prayed for earlier, Somalia is a country laid on my heart many, many years ago. And uh, they say maybe a few hundred believers at most in that country. Never really had a, a, a vibrant Christian church. The few believers there are have to be hidden believers. They can't be open about their faith if they were open their lives in that lawless, very Islamist state would certainly be at risk. Think of them. The sheep of God's pasture. The people he purchased at great cost uh, on the cross. A church that is God's dwelling place. One day they will be beautifully dressed as a bride for Christ. But see God's church now. And we should grieve. I'd love to commend a book that's on the bookstore, um, Christopher Ash's little book on Psalms. Do, do go and get one. I haven't yet read it, though I did read his, his chapter on this psalm. My wife, though, I know, has really, really uh, enjoyed it and been encouraged by it, so I can commend it to you. Let me just read one paragraph. He says that the persecuted church the world over sings this psalm, and we must sing it with them. Closer to home, we should grieve at liberal theology eroding a confidence in truth. We should grieve at prosperity theology eroding a willingness to accept sacrifice. We should grieve at materialism eroding a willingness to give. We should grieve at sexual compromise eroding the boundaries of family life. We should grieve at a culture of celebrity and entertainment eroding humility and maturity. We should grieve at party spirit, breaking churches. We should grieve at broken lives, broken churches, broken nations. And we should grieve at the darkness and disorder of our own hearts. All around, we look at the ruins of what ought to be glorious church. Asaph says, grieve with me. Lord Jesus says to us, grieve with me. Then secondly, believe with me. There's a lovely shift in tone from verse 12. Look down at that with me. He says, but 
great but. But God is my king from long ago. He brings salvation on the earth. I still trust you. Still trust that you reign, that you rescue. Salvation is what you do, the psalmist says. And he reminds himself of what God had done. He remembers the exodus. God's people then. In uh, even more desperate straits, one might say. Slaves in Egypt. And he retells the story in, in poetic language, using the, the kind of the, the storybook imagery of his day. Speaking of Leviathan, this sort of mythical beast that uh, represented evil. And it's as though he says, Pharaoh was evil incarnate. But God, verse 13, it was, it was you who split open the sea by your power. He divided the Red Sea, if you remember. Verse 14, it was you who crushed the heads of Leviathan. Pharaoh's armies wiped out. Verse 15, it was you who opened up springs and, and streams. He brought water out of a rock for his people. It was you who dried up the ever-flowing uh, rivers when they crossed into the promised land. The Jordan, we're told, was in flood. And yet, as they crossed, it stopped. They walked through on dry ground. So he remembers how God is the God who brought salvation to his people by his power. He is the God who is king, king over all creation. Actually, this language that he's using of Leviathan, of the, the sea representing chaos, all the powers of evil, he's picking up the creation mythology of the ancient world. Many would have held back then that it was Baal, Baal, at creation, who had crushed Leviathan. No, the psalmist says, it was, it was you. It was you. You are the creator. You are the one who separated the waters. That first day, Genesis 1, the waters above and the waters beneath. It was you who separated land from sea. And waters speaking of chaos and evil. You, Lord, are sovereign over all creation. Sovereign over evil. You were the one who made the boundaries between day and night, between summer and winter. You are Lord over everything. He looks back at creation. He looks back at the exodus. He remembers, Lord, you reign. Even amidst the apparent chaos around us, the evil that seems to hold sway, you reign and you rescue. The psalmist says, I trust you. And he says to us, believe with me. Believe with me. I was thinking this week how easy I find it to forget. There's a spiritual battle. There's a spiritual foe we're up against, as well as all the, the, the problems I'm prone just to, to focus on. I think it's helpful that the psalmist remembers it's not just Babylonians who have done terrible things, left Jerusalem as a bomb site. Satan, Leviathan, is the real foe. But he's a defeated foe. And as I remember, there's a spiritual battle we're in. There is a spiritual foe. Once it's far greater than the problems I face. But remembering it's the Satan, I do also remember at the same time, Satan is a defeated foe. On the cross, Jesus crushed the, the serpent's head. 
And as we grieve, should grieve, at the state of the church today, the state of our own lives, good that we remember, God reigns. The gates of hell shall not prevail against God's church. Believe with me, the psalmist says. And then finally, pray with me. As he remembers that God is this great God, well, so he prays, as we close, big prayers. They're big, bold prayers he finishes with. He appeals to God's honor. Verse 18, remember how the enemy has mocked you, Lord. How foolish people have reviled your name. Not simply praying, Lord, give us a break. Oh, life's hard. He's saying, Lord, uphold the honor of your name. Verse 22, rise up, O God, defend your cause. Remember how fools mock you all day long. For your name's sake, don't leave your people like this. Appeals to God's honor. Then he appeals to God's compassion. Verse 19, he says, do not hand over the life of your dove to wild beasts. Do not forget the lives of your afflicted people forever. Lord, we are as helpless as a dove. Your dove, your afflicted people. Surely you care. You can't just abandon your dove to wild beasts. You can't forget about us. Appeals to God's compassion. And then he appeals to God's faithfulness. Verse 20. Have regard for your covenant, he says. Lord, you made promises to us. Have regard to your covenant. Appeals to God's faithfulness. And then finally, he appeals to God's justice. Verse 21. Do not let the oppressed retreat in disgrace. May the poor and needy praise your name. In, in your justice, Lord, we know you're just. So protect the weak and the needy. Overthrow your enemies as you must. Verse 23, do not ignore the clamor of your adversaries, the uproar of your enemies, which rises continually. It's a, a bold prayer, much more than simply Lord, we're having a hard time. Please help us. He appeals to God's honor, to God's compassion, to God's faithfulness, to God's justice. And he says, rise up, Lord, act and save us. And as we grieve for the state of the church today, as we trust the God who is king over creation, the God who brings salvation to his people, he's done it. This is how we should pray. How we should pray for the Church of England. Rise up, O oh God, for the honor of your name, out of compassion for your people, in faithfulness to your promises, because you care about righteousness and truth. Rise up. Don't let us slide further away from the gospel further into worldliness and unbelief. That's how we should pray for the persecuted church around the world. Lord, they bear your name. Yet they bear so much scorn. 
Do not hand over your dove, the wild beast. So many churches, persecuted churches, so weak and vulnerable. Lord, have compassion. Build your church in faithfulness to your promises. You promised people from every tribe and nation. Protect the poor. Punish the oppressor in your justice. Now we should pray for St. Ebbs too. Because we are far from what we should be. Far from what one day we shall be. For like this for ourselves. Lord, for your name's sake, make us more what we should be. Because you've promised that the work you've begun, you will carry on to completion. So continue to change us and transform us. Protect us from the forces of evil that would divide us and distract us and lead us away from your truth. Wonderfully, our king, our priest, ever lives to intercede for us, the Bible says. And surely he prays this for us. He sings this song. And as we sing in the king's choir, he says to us, sing this with me, grieve with me, believe with me, pray with me. Let's pray. Father, may this be a song we learn to sing. Now, it's not one that maybe immediately resonates. We long that these psalms would not only be tools to express what, on, what is on our hearts, but more and more these psalms would shape what is on our hearts and teach us to grieve at the state of your church. Teach us more to believe you are the king, the savior, the savior. And teach us to pray bold prayers like this for your name's sake.